0: Please read along with me our scripture passage for this morning from the book of Proverbs. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty." and slumber will clothe them with rags. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls.
1: Thanks, Amber. Good morning. Uh, My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Uh, If you've been coming in the last two months you haven't seen me up here, because I've been on an extended hiatus from the pulpit or the music stand, as the case may be. Um, no, I, I I'm usually, usually preach about once a month or once every six weeks, and uh, I'm up for the next two weeks, so I'm about to say a joke. I've got to warn everybody now about my jokes, but uh, if you wanted to take a two-week vacation, now would be the time. Um, although you probably wanted to have leave uh, you wanted to have left yesterday uh, and come back in a few weeks, um, joking uh, we obviously are glad that you 're here we want you to keep coming uh, in uh, as we continue to look at proverbs. Uh, it does feel a little fallish fall ish now, uh, so we 're grateful for that at least the last uh, few days in the morning. but we are looking at proverbs this fall. you should have in your worship folder a An insert on one side is the scriptures that uh, Amber just read to us, and on the other side is an outline. Uh, It's a relatively short series of Proverbs, and because of that, we're really going to be focusing in on just about each one this morning as we look at self-control. The series that we're in is Proverbs, the path to wisdom. It's going to take us up to Advent uh, at the end of November, and what we've been doing is looking at various topics from the book of Proverbs. How wisdom and how becoming a wise person affects things like the way you plan, uh, the way you handle wealth, the way you think about sex and beauty, and the way you approach work, just to name a few. And remember, we've been talking about wisdom, or defining it, I should say, as the ability to handle the complex realities of life. Competency to handle the complex realities of life. Wisdom is, at the very least, knowing the difference between right and wrong, but I think it's much more than that. And I think all of us have come to see that it is much more than that. There's lots of gray in life. There's lots of situations where the moral rules don't necessarily apply, at least in a cut-and-dry fashion. Uh, And so wisdom is being able to problem-solve and sift through those solutions, informed by the fear of the Lord. And this morning, uh, we're going to look at the issue of self-control. Uh, Now, Proverbs says that a wise person is a self-controlled person. What's interesting is that your level of self-control affects many other areas. In fact, the areas we've been looking at, a lot of them, uh, your wealth, your words, your work, your temper, sexual temptation, and so forth. And I think it's fair to say that the root cause of our problems with many of the topics we've been looking at is a lack of self-control. Uh, This aspect, you can trace it back to a lack of self-control, let's put it that way. This aspect of the Spirit's fruit in us has far-reaching consequences, far-reaching effects into our lives because uh, it is the last fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians chapter 5, and yet it is one of the Spirit's fruits. So what do we mean by it? Uh, One definition says this, control, self-control is control of one's emotions, desires, or actions... By one's own will. Another one I came across describes self-control this way. It is the ability to recognize and choose the important thing over the urgent thing. You might say someone who lives according to the tyranny of the urgent lacks self-control. Uh, they float from one thing to the next. They're not real settled. If you get around them, you can kind of feel this, this restlessness, this angst in their life. They just go from one thing to the next. Their life is literally out of control. The New Testament uses a word for self-control that means self-command. The implication being, if you're not in command of you, then something else is, right? You're a slave. So take a look at the outline there in your worship folder, and unfortunately, because of the way we have this structured, you're going to have to flip back and forth uh, the good news is there's not very many Proverbs, uh, but the bad news is we, we are going to be looking at all of them, uh, or at least most of them, in detail. But if you look on the other side, you'll see uh, three points, uh, three three walls we're going to talk about. The broken wall, the imaginary wall, and the fortified wall. Uh, first is the problem of self-control, second is how we and our society lead us to try and deal with the problem and how foolishness often results from that too. And then finally, uh, the fortified wall. How does the gospel provide you the power to become a person who is self-controlled? Okay, so first, the broken wall, the problem. And there are two ways, really, that the book of Proverbs gets at this problem. Uh, I want to use the Proverb 25, 28 there, the last one on your sheet to illustrate a broad description, give you a broad description of the problem, and then, right above that, 23, 19 to 21, give you some specifics, or at least how the writer of the book of Proverbs gives us some specific uh, behaviors that result from a lack of self-control. So first, Proverbs 25, 28, "...a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls." One of the characteristics of a fool, according to the book of Proverbs, is a lack of self-control. And the word the writer uses here is a man without restraint. Okay? But it's the analogy that drives home the point. The person without restraint or without self-control is a city broken into, is like a city broken into, and whose walls are torn down. Well, what's the significance of that? Well, in the ancient world, a walled city provided many things. Security, opportunities for trade and commerce and justice. And if you take away the walls, uh, the city is defenseless. It's open to all sorts of bandits, marauders, enemy armies. It's a disaster waiting to happen. And a person lacking self-control is no different. They are a disaster waiting to happen. Here you have a person with uncurbed animalistic drives... And those drives plunder the person like an attacking enemy. The drives that they have, no restraint, that go out from them, it's almost as if they have lost the battle before it's even begun. You see, the book of Proverbs operates on the assumption that unless we master our lust, our temper, and in fact all evil inclinations, sin is going to overpower us. And this proverb knows the power of sin that drives a person to death in the same way God describes sin to Cain in the fourth chapter of the Bible. In Genesis 4, he says to Cain, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, to have you, to own you. And so watch out. Without self-control, an unrestrained person is defeated before the contest even begins. They've already succumbed to the temptation. They've already lost. That's the point of this proverb. The first two proverbs on your sheet really apply this. If you look there, Proverbs 1216 and then 16 32. 1216 says the fool doesn't hide their reaction. A lack of self control reveals itself in the vexation of the fool or the annoyance of the fool, or when the fool come, when the fool is faced with something that bothers them, you see it immediately. But the prudent or the wise is able to ignore an insult. The inner irritation of the fool comes out in their gestures and in their speech. The hot temper rules them. The enemy, as a result, has an all-access pass to their heart and their emotions. But look at 1632, and we'll get to this uh, in talking about anger in weeks to come, it says the wise person rules their spirit. But in contrast to that, the fool's lack of self-control results in an instantaneous, arrogant lashing out and only destroys. is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So if you are in, if you're in control of your spirit... If you have self-control, if you are slow to anger, the writer is saying, you are more powerful, you are more mighty than the commander of an army who can take down a city. That's a huge compliment in the ancient world and in our world too. The person without restraint is beaten before they begin. That's the broad description of, now, look at a couple specifics. If you look at uh, 23, 19 through 21 uh, on your sheet there, the, the, the fourth set down, here the writer spelling out specific consequences, and most of these you all know. These are not, this is not news to anybody, right? Those who drink too much and eat too much are lumped together. Why? Because both groups take self-indulgence or no restraint to the limit, and the result is poverty, loss of property. Their defenses are down, and that's the practical outcome of no self-control. You have, you have no defense. Their eating and their drinking is out of control. Now, think about Thanksgiving for a minute. Okay, so one day a year where we seem to forget or at least give gluttony a pass. Now, can you think of a day of the year where we give drunkenness a pass? No, maybe New Year's Eve, right? I mean, at least some people. Uh, All those who are like under 25 are going, hmm, a few more than that, maybe. A few more days of the year, I give that a pass. But it's interesting, you know, that we never seem to forget about drunkenness, but somehow gluttony escapes us on on that one day, right? And you know what I'm talking about? It's the, I'm going to get the the name of the thing wrong that's in the turkey meat that makes you drowsy. But after you eat it, after you eat your Thanksgiving dinner and you sit down, it's it's almost like there's this fog over you, right? You know what I'm talking about. It's a fog. I mean, your kid could come in and say, I need to go and, you know, do a little shopping. Oh, take the credit card's fine. No problem. You know? And you know, you know from movies what it's like, you know, you sit down on the couch, uh, you turn on football, uh, and you slowly drift off into the fog and the drowsiness takes you over. That's the picture, okay, of Proverbs 23, 19 to 21. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Their lack of self-control results in their defenses being down and they are beaten before they even begin. That's the point at which plunder will happen. The enemy can and will destroy you. And it's why they say don't drink and drive, right? Because your reaction, your, uh, your uh, reflexes get lowered when you have uh, put alcohol in your body. And so as you're driving, and someone pulls out in front of you, you're slower to break, you're slower to react. Why? Because it's that, it's that fog that alcohol creates. Your defenses are down. You have no self-control or because you didn't have self-control an hour before, now you can't respond, you can't react. We all know that. And yet there are many other areas where destruction will occur as a result of having no restraint, no self-control. Remember, a defenseless person is a disaster waiting to happen. Now, you might say... My eating and my drinking are not out of control. I don't eat too much, I don't drink too much. Well, what is out of control? Something in your life, if we were to probe deep enough, probably is, or at least at some point has been, right? These run the gamut, but they're all part of our culture, specifically Western American culture. We have a big problem with them, time. Our time is out of control, right? Our schedules are crazy. We barely have enough time to sit down and breathe. We constantly go from one thing to the next We work in order to rest, rather than resting as a basis for our work, and it shows. Our schedules are crazy, nuts. But not only that, our thoughts are out of control. Our thoughts often fill us with anxiety or fear. We don't take risks as a result. We sit back, we we, we pine away. What is going to happen? What is going to happen? We're not sure. makes us hyper-protective of our children, hyper-protective of our lives, so to combat the fear and anxiety, oftentimes we, 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 we go and, and see someone. And we'll get to that in a, in a few minutes as to how oftentimes our, our culture uh, uh, calls us to deal with the problem. But our, our thought lives are out of control. Our tongues are out of control. We say whatever comes to mind. We gossip. We slander. We're slow to listen. We're quick to speak. And then there's the credit card that can be out of control. We spend more than we have because we just love stuff, right? You know what I'm talking about. When there's no governor on these, we spin out of control. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with a governor, if, you know, uh, you've ever ridden on like a gas-powered golf cart and you've tinkered with it to try and make it go faster, the thing you have to tinker with is the governor. And I know that because I've done it before. Before. Um, But the governor's on there to maintain a safe speed, to not let the engine go out of control and the operator take it out of control and thus hurt somebody or get themselves into trouble or danger. Governors are good things, right? And the reason they call it a governor goes back to why we have uh, governors and uh, people in government to help enforce laws and keep us from getting out of control. So the question comes, what situations, what areas of your life do you find yourself most prone to lose control in? What are, those, what are those places? What are those areas? And chances are, those are the very areas where you're most prone to unbelief. You haven't taken the gospel to that area yet, and so it is just running rampant in your life. Well, once you've identified what's out of control, what do you do? Well, the second point there is the imaginary wall. And this is what we often do. We construct imaginary walls. Once we find something's broken, once we find we're without restraint in an area and we're like the city whose walls are broken into, we need to construct some some sort of imaginary wall. We need to construct some, some sense of protection or safety. Well, how does our flesh deal with the problem? We'll get to that. We often replace it. And Our culture or society will often tell us to express it or to uh, suppress it. Just forget about it. Ignore it. Get a a hold of it somehow. Look at Proverbs 18, uh, verse 11. In the third set there, this is the, the, the second statement. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. So my question to you is, what is the high wall in your imagination? What is your strong city? Fill in the blank. My is my strong city. A high wall in my imagination. When you find that life is spinning out of control, or when you find that area of your life that's spinning out of control, what's in that blank? Maybe it's my family is my strong city. Maybe it's my spouse, if you're married. Maybe it's my job, my investment portfolio, my hobby, a, a, a sport You know, my football team is my strong city. My reputation, my education, or my level of knowledge, or maybe it's simply my being needed by other people is is where I find security. It's like my strong city. Or maybe it's just a love of the status quo, of things being normal and regular, and a schedule that never gets out of whack. That's mine. If I just have everything scheduled, everything put where it needs to be, that's a strong city for me. That's where I find security. What is it that makes you think, if I can just have or get that, I'll be safe, I'll find protection, I'll feel strong. Because you see, it's a natural human response if we feel out of control to run towards something that will provide safety or give us a sense of peace or stability. And Proverbs teaches us that that something, if that something rather, is anything other than God, we are fools because it will not promise or won't deliver on its promise to protect us or to provide us strength because it's based on a false version of reality. Some of you may recall in the opening weeks of the series, a number of weeks back, Drew mentioned that wisdom leads us to live in reality and sin distorts that, it causes us to uh, as he put it a few weeks back, go to Venus and breathe, think we can breathe oxygen, right? It distorts the reality of the world. And if anything other than my God is my strong city, like a high wall in my imagination, if anything else is there, then the Bible says you're a fool. Now, the key to Proverbs 18, verse 11, are these three words. Look at them there at the very end in his imagination. The sense of security and strength that we attribute to those things that replace God, that we call idols, that that sense is in our imagination. It's not based on reality. Notice the rich man's wealth is his strong city. It's like a high wall in his imagination. So he has it worked up in his brain to be something that it is really not. Now, our culture also influences the way we try to gain self-control. Its message is very dangerous, in fact, because as I read earlier from the dictionary.com definition, the secret to gaining control of yourself is in mastering your will. You master your will. Will power is another way that it's expressed. Self-discipline. Like one of the ancient samurais of Japan or or in, in Buddhism It is this self-discipline, this self-awareness that teaches you to gain control over your own will. So it's why the Buddhist monks will sit for days and weeks in the same position, no matter what the weather is. They're they're mastering their will, right? You get in touch with your feelings to master them, okay? Think Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Get in touch with your feelings, Luke, so that you can suppress them, right, right? and control, do this mind-control stuff. Eastern mysticism influences our culture in in, in very profound ways. But not only that, our cultural ancestors, the Greeks and the Romans, had a philosophical system devoted to and maintaining, mastering self-control. It was called Stoicism, and I want to read you a quote. The Stoics taught that reason is the guiding force of the world, and ought to be the guiding principle of each human being, thinking and trying our best to discover the truth about the universe, as well as about human life, is part of our duty as Stoics. Rather than shut our eyes to the truth, we must work to make it acceptable emotionally. Let me read that again. Rather than shut our eyes to the truth, we must work to make it acceptable emotionally. Who's in control? You are. Everything happens for a reason and if we could only align our feelings and our actions with our reason and with the forces of the universe live in accordance with nature as the stoics put it or want what is we could live a life of perfect virtue and perfect tranquility and self-control tapping into a tapping into your reason your human reason which is a natural part of what you are as a human being was their remedy for an out-of-control, unrestrained person. Now today, this has morphed, funny enough, into self-discovery. So not so much suppressing your feelings as what? Express them. Accept yourself. Love yourself. Be comfortable in your own skin, right? And the scary part is, there are elements of this in the teachings of people like Oprah, right? who I have the distinct pleasure of having the same last name as, Deepak Chopra, a guy named Eckhart Tolle that some of you may have never heard of, but I promise you, what he's telling people and society and our culture is filtering through to you in very subtle ways. Even Scientology leads people to deal with things in this way. right? It's a strange mix of all of this stuff between self-discipline, willpower, stoicism, and so forth. And it's very dangerous because, here's the point, at the end of the day, that blank in Proverbs 18 verse 11 is filled with the word self. Myself is my strong city, like a high wall in my imagination. And that's dangerous and ultimately destructive to not just You, your soul, but the people around you, the people that you've been given to care for. So, what do we do? Ultimately, and look there at the third point, the issue is becoming a person whose life is characterized by self-control, someone who is wise, how do I get there? Well, let me say this, if you're here and you're not a Christian, or if you're unsure whether you are a Christian, or you're investigating it, wherever you are on that spectrum, the Bible teaches that the power to lead a self-controlled life is found in the gospel, in the gospel only. The person and work of Jesus Christ. To not live with broken walls, or walls of your own imagination, the Bible says what you need is a fortified wall. You need a place of security. You need a place of safety. Rather than going from thing to thing, spinning out of control, defenseless. You need a fortified wall. Look at Proverbs 18, verse 10. Okay, and this is where I want to land and where we will finish this morning. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The wise person knows that the safest and most effective way to fight foolishness is And to fight a lack of self-control is to run into the name of the Lord. Now, what does he mean? The name of the Lord refers to his character, refers to who he is and what he's done. And the writer says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And that word strong tower refers to a storehouse, a building where they kept resources, food, grain, rice, even valuables like gold and, and even jewelry. Uh, was kept in a storehouse. The storehouse was secure because its contents were guarded, and most of the time, as the proverb says, it's a strong tower, it's high up. And so people ran into them when attacked. So what's he saying? Well, you run into the name of the Lord when you remind yourself of all that God has done to prove his character. Well, what has he done? What's he done to make the way for you and I to run into him and to be secure? Well, substitute in the proverb, name of the Lord with Jesus, so that it reads this way. Jesus is a strong tower. I mean, that is one of the names of the Lord after all, right? Jesus is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into him and is safe. So how do you become the type of righteous person described by the proverb? Well, one commentator says this, and I, I, I really want you to hear this because it's a great description and it kind of covers all the bases. Wisdom, he says, which is a defi- divine grace attained by faith, not a native power, in parentheses, like Stoics and our culture would teach us. Wisdom fortifies the inner self and safeguards its possessor. But what is it? He says it's a divine grace attained By faith. And so how do you become the type of righteous person? Described by Proverbs 18, 10. You have to experience the grace of God. So look at the assurance of pardon in your worship folder from Titus 2. And obviously, we chose it very intentionally. Because Paul says here that the grace of God has appeared for us in Jesus. And the grace of God has appeared for us... In Jesus Christ, because the grace and presence and mercy and favor of his Father disappeared from Jesus. Because Jesus lost the smile of the Father and lost the safety of his presence. Because the strong tower of Jesus was completely demolished. You and I get the ability and the joy and the privilege of running into the name of the Lord. And as a result, we get his character, we get his promises, we get his love. And so I want to say this. You find yourself this morning struggling with self-control. To the extent that we learn to run and to rest in him, when he and he alone becomes your strong tower, then you'll be able to master your emotions and your behavior and learn. Look at what the Apostle Paul says there. The grace of God has appeared, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and all sorts of uh, other stuff. I don't have it in front of me. Um, and teaches us, trains us, helps us learn. Self-control. And to the extent that you can do that, to the extent that the grace of God overwhelms your heart in the person and work of Jesus Christ then you'll be wise. Because it trains us, the grace of God that is, trains us in self-control, makes us passionate lovers of other people. And so I want to finish with this. Running into Jesus will provide security for you. If you haven't run into him, if you haven't clung to him, I would plead with you to do that. If you feel that life is spinning out of control, Being united to him gives you all the resources you need to deal with life. Because in his storehouse, in his storehouse is his spirit who leads us to the important thing, not the urgent thing. If you're running into him, then you're not going to float through life constantly feeling enslaved by the tyranny of the urgent. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Jesus is the strong tower. You'll have defense against the enemy. And so when a crisis hits, when the schedule gets blown up, I hate that one, by the way, when your job stinks, when your reputation's drugged through the mud, when no one needs you, you won't spin out of control. Instead, you can run headlong into Jesus Christ, the strong tower, the one with fortified walls, who, as the commentator said, his, his wisdom is ours by faith. It is a divine grace that we get by faith. And through whom we can defeat the enemy in ourselves, in our families, in our community, and ultimately in our world. Well, let me pray that he would grant us that power and change us this morning. Lord Jesus, we do... Thank you and marvel at you, the strong tower, Uh, the one who, well, who willingly went through hell itself uh, and defeated the enemy by suffering uh, and hanging upon a cross, by losing the smile and the presence of your father that you had only ever known from all eternity, so that we, uh, the ones who deserved hell, the ones who deserved to be hanging on the cross, might be able to run into your arms, that we might be able to gain you, to have you, to know you. And we pray that, as that really is what the writer in the Proverbs and indeed the whole Bible tells us is the, the secret to gaining a life of of self-control, to gaining a life where we're not floating from one thing to the next. We pray that you would enable us by your spirit to grow in our ability to do that, to more and more run into you, to more and more know that all the resources we need are found in you and found in the strong tower. And that from there, from a position of security, from a position of safety in you, then we can really live lives uh, that are full of your glory and your honor, uh, whose lives reflect you. And as the Apostle Paul says, whose lives are zealous for good works, full of love. Uh, That's the way you've created us. That's why you've created us. So come and do that work in us by your spirit for your glory, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, Amen. Let me just remind you before the benediction, the only hope you have uh, to defeat the enemy is the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, In Him, who is the strong tower, uh, you are safe from the enemy. So if you're here feeling defeated, feeling beat down by the enemy, the enemy's sin, by the way, uh, then run into Him. And this benediction is a promise that uh, he invites you to do that. And if you have already done that or you're struggling through the walk of faith to do that, so this is his promise that as you go from here, he goes with you to enable you, to empower you, to remind you uh, to be doing that daily, hourly, as we just sang, uh, Lord, I need you every hour, every minute, every second of the day. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.